Chapter Ten of Dr. Paul's Theory. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dr. Paul's Theory by Alice Mangold Deal. Chapter Ten A Disappointment. Dr. Paul and his son left Waterloo with their cases of flowers at an early hour next morning. Hugh was in a severe humour. Out of temper with himself, he was inclined to be out of temper with the rest of mankind. The first incident did not improve his humour. Like other travellers, he was in the habit of buying papers to beguile the tedium of the railway journey. He had partially read his times, when Ralph, who sat opposite, leant over, and, showing him an illustration in a well-known weekly, said, Is it like her father? It was the portrait of the Princess Andriochi, after a painting in the Paris Salon. For a moment he hardly realised the extraordinary fact that his boy should ask him such a question. Then, recovering himself, Like whom? he asked. Like the princess. Jones told me you had a new patient, a princess, and showed me the prince's card. Poor old fellow. He does think a lot of royalty, father these people do not happen to be royal said dr paul as coldly as he ever spoke to his son but i am sorry that jones is getting old and garrulous i thought he would last my time out he meant no harm began ralph but his father gave him a times leader on the recent death of a celebrated geologist to read and glanced at the memoir attached to the portrait this after stating that the Princess Andriochi was the daughter of the Duke and Duchess of Saldanes, who were high in favour at the court of Spain, enlarged upon the sensation her beauty had created in Paris, how her carriage had been mobbed, how great portrait painters had made interest in influential quarters to have the privilege of taking her portrait, not knowing, until the picture by a celebrated Spanish artist was on the walls of the salon, that they had been forestalled after some further complimentary remarks the article ended with the statement that although the princess was spanish by birth she had been educated in england and this is the fulsome adulation with which the world ruins its sweetest women thought hugh intensely disgusted and annoyed what can be done against that how can any one or anything make an honest god-fearing woman out of the object of that sort of stuff he tried to occupy his mind with general subjects until they reached f station where mr and mrs mervyn met them beaming with smiles granny my dearest boy ralph was rapturously embraced by mrs mervyn who was stouter and greyer than twenty years before while mr mervyn a handsome old man with hair as white as hugh's prematurely blanched locks shook hands with dr paul who this year had been absent from the pinewood for six months you must be glad to get away for a peep at the dear old place said mrs mervyn warmly as she sat opposite hugh in the wagonette you will find the garden a little neglected i fear you see the men have had no direct orders and we did not like to interfere to hugh the peeps of the grounds through the clumps of pines as they drove along produced an effect of desolation there was the still overgrown neglected look about the place which even the best-kept estate will assume after the protracted absence of its owner 
they were all to lunch together at the pinewood as they neared the house hugh's spirits fell lower and lower it is like a big churchyard with one grave in it he thought to him the house looked mausoleum-like its windows stared blankly at him like so many reproachful eyes within he fancied there was a smell of damp mrs mervyn and the old housekeeper assured him as they accompanied him through the unused rooms where the furniture was carefully shrouded in holland and the carpets rolled up that during the wet weather there had been fires everywhere and that at a couple of days notice the house would be ready for occupation you could invite any number of people sir i'd undertake to be ready for them said mrs gray who had been housemaid at the pinewood when sir roderick was a young man the parties as old mr pym had here during the shooting and how they used to enjoy themselves i only wish as how those times would come again sir as i said before i'd be ready for em as long as you'd let me have two housemaids and a man as knew something of his business hugh looked sharply at her as if the tempter himself had spoken through her lips if i had people here the whole place would have to be refurnished he said turning to mrs mervyn it all looks so faded so worn out last night's splendid scene was in his mind not for one moment had his memory failed to reproduce it even as he looked at the good old furniture they were standing in the drawing-room he mrs mervyn and the housekeeper he seemed to see the opera house as background to the central figure of the princess in her pearl-embroidered robe wearing priceless gems on her fair neck and arms and in her black hair as carelessly as if they were glass i dare say it does all look poor after the houses you are accustomed to see said mrs mervyn indulgently good untiringly faithful and well-doing as she was her woman's natural instincts remained she daily witnessed by far too much squalor and poverty and at the faint promise of something that would brighten up the place as she termed it she revived as an old war-horse pricks up his ears at the sound of the trumpet but you know all these things are solid and good and at a comparatively small expense you could make the house look utterly different she added persuasively then while mrs gray stood by intensely interested she unfolded the poor old chocolate-coloured draperies and showing hugh how threadbare and faded they were suggested numberless little plans for beautifying the rooms at a comparatively trivial outlay he listened with seeming interest but he hardly heard what she was saying he was building a castle in the air he was reorganizing the whole place on a far grander scale than would ever have occurred to mrs mervyn's frugal mind he was preparing it for the entertainment of such guests as sir david and lady forward sir david and lady forward his thoughts presumed no further hugh paul hitherto sincere true to himself had taken the first plunge into the bottomless waters of self-deception it seems a shame that a house with such capacity should be allowed to be in this state doesn't it he said to mrs mervyn it seems a shame so beautiful a place should waste its sweetness on the desert air she said half laughingly half earnestly but we know you will not leave it as it is she went on in a low voice to hugh as they followed the inwardly elated housekeeper out of the room you see ralph is getting to be a young man and should meet people 
we have thought you would come to see this in its right light before very long as mrs mervyn was saying these words they were passing through the hall and mrs gray in her exuberance of spirits at the prospect of liveliness to come went up to the gong and sounded the summons to luncheon in quite a joyous fashion hugh following mrs mervyn into the dining-room was struck by the bare and empty appearance of the room but he was still more impressed by something else this was lilia's portrait in pastel which he had had painted by a celebrated french artist after her death to be hung over the mantel-shelf where roderick pym's portrait in oils used to hang this portrait which had been somewhat of an abstraction a study in grey and lilac had lost whatever life the artist had put into it it might be a portrait of her ghost he thought with an eerie feeling in truth as he sat at luncheon and afterwards when he and ralph laid the wreaths on the grave there was no longer that old sensation of her presence lingering about the place it was all empty as a husk the old life is gone for ever he thought to make the pine wood bearable he felt he must live a new life they took tea at the rectory with the mervyns as he was strolling in the garden with his hostess afterwards he said to her suddenly if i should invite people here later on would you consent to be hostess for a time mrs mervyn was slightly startled but acquiesced after the father and son had left she broached the matter to her husband do you think he means to marry again suggested mr mervyn who had noticed some change in hugh marry again mrs mervyn's indignation made her husband smile well we shall see he said my belief is he will arrived home by far more cheerful than when he started hugh went at once to his library for letters there were a few manifestly business communications he looked at these somewhat blankly then rang the bell are these all the letters he asked yes sir who called no one sir you are sure he looked somewhat sternly at old jones the prattler i am positive certain sir said the old domestic aggrieved casting a reproachful look at his master as he retired dr paul had never spoken so sharply to him before what a curious thing he was telling himself lady forward made all that fuss about my seeing the girl and i am not sent for it was only twenty-four hours since he was sitting in the box talking to the princess but this fact did not occur to him so many thoughts had passed through his mind he had made such startling resolutions during those twenty-four hours that they seemed a week the next day passed and the day after in the usual routine rarely had that routine seemed so dull what is the matter with my father do you think jones asked ralph of his old crony who had been his secret playfellow since he first spun tops and made kite tails for him he seems so strange has he been ill and kept it to himself how can i tell master ralph how can the likes o me understand the likes o him answered jones in his heart of hearts 
Jones feared that much learning was making his master certainly inclined to madness. A few days later came a note from Lady Forward. At last, muttered Dr. Paul, who considered himself somewhat peculiarly treated by a couple of women, and attributed his irritable humour to annoyance thereat. But the letter merely asked him to dine to-morrow, and contained no mention of the princess. But it is pretty certain she is to be there, or I should scarcely have been invited, he thought. Apart from his profession, he thought very lightly of himself. Since Lilia died, he had merged the man in the physician. If one had told him people liked or disliked him as the man, without reference to the professional healer, he would scarcely have believed it. He put the note into his breast pocket. He was just going to deliver a lecture, said a few words to Ralph, and, stopping the carriage at a telegraph office, wired, with pleasure, to Lady Forward. He lectured brilliantly that day. The students were astonished at the youthful enthusiasm of their ordinarily calm and logical professor. Returning, he found a letter from Mrs. Mervyn, who was anxious to keep him up to his new good resolutions. Mrs. Mervyn offered to come to town any day and do his shopping for him. He talked of his idea of embellishing the pinewood to Ralph that evening. You both, you and Granny, have more artistic taste than I have, he said to his son. Suppose I were to give you carte blanche to refurnish the house. Both houses, this is a great deal too shabby, and I will not grumble at the bills. Ralph acceded to his father's suggestion joyfully, as he invariably did. But in private he wondered, and pondered. This man, all elation one day and moody abstraction the next, was not the father he had loved and revered. He was metamorphosed. Sir David Forwood lived in one of the fashionable squares. When Hugh's carriage drove up, it had to wait. Another equipage was setting down at the hall door, where there was an awning. A large party, he asked the footman, who took his hat. My lady receives after dinner this evening, said the man. There were two or three ladies seated near Lady Forward, and a few men were standing about in the big front drawing-room. One of these was the Count, who bowed to him with what he considered an ironical smile. "'I want you particularly to take in Lady Bravo,' Lady Forward said to him after she had said a few nothings. "'She is dying to talk to you. You know she is a bit blue, and she positively raves about your commentaries on psychological facts. Did I pronounce that properly? Yes?' For the first time, I assure you. Then she introduced him to the lady in question. Lady Poirville was the wife of a millionaire who had been recently created a baron, for some good reason, best known to the title creators of the period. She was a stout lady in the sixties, who worshipped brains, as she said, and took a motherly interest in her juniors. She was fond of a little bit of gossip, and Hugh listened to her monologue, half-interested, half dreading that he might hear something, what he hardly knew, that would unpleasantly affect him. "'You know Count Tornelli?' she said to him, after she had chattered about most of the persons present, not strictly within earshot. "'The man who is always with the Prince Andriochi? I am very much interested in him.' "'Indeed?' remarked Hugh, coldly. "'You speak as if—do you know anything about him that is not quite nice?' 
asked her ladyship alarmed by his manner because if you do you must tell me at once that dark girl sitting by him is my niece and we quite think that it will be a match if everything should be suitable of course hugh felt quite sorry for having excited lady broadville's suspicions he became suddenly sympathetic in her regard and thinking she was a good motherly soul he assured her quite warmly that during his slight acquaintance with the count he had seen nothing at all at which she might take exception i hear that the prince is dreadfully fast said she but that the count does his utmost to lead him away from his temptations a sort of mentor said hugh with a smile he felt amused now and discussed the advantages of the possible marriage with lady broadville with as much interest as if he had been a lady matchmaker the dinner over he established himself in a corner of the back drawing-room and watched the arrivals to the at home these were many people he knew people he did not know every gown as it flitted past the doorway set him on the alert he felt that each dark head or pair of snowy shoulders might be hers as the quarters were chimed by a clock on a cabinet near him as ten o'clock came nay eleven he began to feel a peculiar sensation of uneasiness it annoyed him what was there to be uneasy about he asked himself was he uneasy because he was wasting his time had he thought he was there in the cause of science to see a patient that had baffled greater nerve doctors than himself yes that was it men came up to him and talked and he conversed with them still watching the doorway then guests began to depart and feeling as if he had been made a fool of he sought out his hostess and somewhat reproachfully told her he must leave now i am sorry i cannot wait any longer to see my patient he said with emphasis your patient repeated lady forward oh dear you expected to meet mercedes she said you thought i was arranging something like they did with the paris doctor no i wanted you particularly to know lady broadville mercedes and her husband are with the arons in wales i had a more cheerful letter from her than i have had for a long time her husband seems to like wales and all is collier du rose i am happy to hear it said hugh then he made his way out of the house and walked home utterly disgusted with himself ashamed of himself to himself for the first time in his life End of chapter ten